0: Hello, it's Tuesday, May the 12th. I'm Jules Breach, he's Andy Brassel, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Today, the latest on Project Restart with journalist Miguel Delaney, plus your thoughts on what you would like to see happen with football as we dig in to all of your correspondence.
1: I think football is coming back now. and I, do, I feel much more strongly for that than I did on Sunday, where I was a bit more doubtful.
0: Andy, it's good to see you again. How are you?
2: Uh, yeah, interesting use of the word "see." But um, I know, sorry, yeah. I, I'm
0: just too used to saying "see." Nice to see you, <laughs> but I, it's I, li- I, nice to hear you.
2: I can't even remember what you look like to be honest. Charles.
0: <laughs> well, I can, I well, can though. kind of picture what you look like because I, I imagine that your hair is still growing uncontrollably if you've still not had a haircut.
2: Yeah my 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 hair grows at quite a rapid rate. I don't mean to alarm the listeners while I'm saying that. Um but but <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not as uh, stubbly as as it, as it normally is. I do know what you look like Jules because of course I've seen your Instagram and I loved your home studio setup. Oh, for BT thank Sport. you.
0: I know. Do you know what? It's been um it's been a really fun couple of weeks getting all the equipment arriving and getting everything set up and turning my lounge into a proper tv studio it's quite it's quite amazing really what you can what you can create from home who knew that my lounge would be my new workplace to that extent, because when lockdown started and we obviously continued recording the Football Ramble daily podcasts, mm. that seemed like quite an easy transition because all we need is our laptops and a microphone, really. Um, whereas with TV stuff, there are so many different elements that go into it from setting the camera up, having a teleprompter, having a monitor behind you so the shot looks nice, and then lighting that shot, and making sure you're not too dark in that shot. It's all of those things that... There is so much that goes into even just the shot looking nice, let alone everything else that comes with it. With being able to hear people in your ear, being able to speak to the guests that you've got on. So it's been um, a really good, fun couple of weeks getting this new show up on 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 the telly, um, the FIFA Challenge on BT Sport, and yeah, it's been it's been a good, fun couple of um, episodes so far. So I look forward to that continuing, which has been. Really good, really good. Um,
2: um, we look forward to to seeing it. We do have to say about football ramble daily and keeping it going. It's it's been so easy because we've got such brilliant production staff, um, yeah. led by Charlie, the producer of this show, who have just made it easy for us, really. And we've we've basically just had to, as you say, plug in our mics and, <laughs> and turn on our laptops. It's a bit of a challenge sometimes. What we get there, don't we? <laughs> yeah,
0: we've we've still had a, a few uh, a few technical errors here and there, including uh, one for me earlier this morning where I managed to somehow get juice in my eyeball just as we started recording. (laughs) Don't ask how. Don't ask, but these are the sort of challenges that you face at home. That would never happen in the studio, would it, Andy? Because we're not allowed any open vessels in that studio.
2: (laughs) No, no, absolutely, we we aren't. Um, Of of course, we've been dealing with all those household things like keeping insects at bay. I was telling you earlier, wasn't I, how I used the the lid of my Edinson Cavani biscuit tin to (laughs) capture an errant spider. Um, So even though the French season's over, Cavani's still busy.
0: I love that you've got a Cavani biscuit tin. I can just picture what the whole of the rest of your kitchen looks like. Um, (laughs) You can picture
2: picture what I want it to look like and you can picture (laughs) what my wife will not let it look like. Yeah,
0: true. Very true. Um, Well, enough of our home tales or probably more of them to come later uh, because it's been an extremely busy week for news, Andy, hasn't it? Particularly in the football world. So here we are to dissect it as best as we can and give you our take on things as well.
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. And um, we were lucky enough earlier to speak to a friend of the show, chief football writer for The Independent, Miguel Delaney. And of course, we were speaking mainly about the Premier League and Project Restart. And we started by asking Miguel, where exactly are we with Project Restart at the moment?
1: I think we're much closer to to football coming back than we were on Sunday. Uh, on Sunday, I think... I actually think yesterday was quite a decisive day, especially given Sunday when... The bottom six who obviously have this opposition to neutral grounds now some among the other clubs suspect that they're, they, they've been using the opportunity to potentially flex their muscles and see what could happen even saving off relegation uh, now all would insist they want the season to play out and the relegation was never on the agenda but that, that had been part of the problem the situation had got quite tense and suspenseful in that regard but yesterday kind of it it almost undercut the development of these power blocks because at the very start of the announcements, the FA told the Premier League, and remember all changes to promotion, relegation, and any kind of wider changes to, to the Premier League itself are dependent on a tripartite agreement between the Premier League, the FA, and EFL. And the FA said, the season has to be finished on sporting merit, which basically means either playing out the games uh, in whatever conditions that may be, depending on what they vote for, or if they can't come to an agreement on some sort of formula, likely weighted points per game. And that situation, first of all, if it's obviously straight up points per game, it would mean the bottom three go down now. Well, it might be a little bit more uncertainty over Villa, given they played the a game less, um, which which immediately kind of puts clubs like, say, West Ham and Aston Villa at alternate agendas. Um, but if it was if it was some sort of weighted formula, it's actually a bit harder to figure out, uh, which me, and because no one knows how quite how it'll turn out to be. Some suggestions that in some cases West Ham would go down, in other in others it would be it Villa, uh, but ultimately means that it's in everyone's interest to actually play the games now, uh, and it's why even though the Premier League have now taken on as what feels a bit of a sop to close, they'll go back to government and see whether anything can be done on playing home and away games so pointing to the example of Germany uh, I don't think the government will bend that from what we've heard but the majority will probably no, now go at neutral grounds on that so I think the path has been smoothed to get football back by mid-June at least depending of course on the development of the virus
0: It's really interesting, Miguel, because I think um, if we spoke this time last week, as you mentioned there, it seemed to be a few of the bottom clubs that were the ones who were particularly vocal about not playing in neutral venues. And then from the findings since the weekend, it now seems as though majority, if not all of the clubs, are actually opposed to neutral venues. Is that something that's just developed over time and that everyone, because of discussing it, has now maybe change their mind on that and decided that playing in their home grounds and therefore playing both home and away would be better for the integrity of the competition? Or was it that this time last week we weren't getting the full reports?
1: Well, as regards people being in favor of neutral grounds, I think it's probably a little bit more complicated than that. Um, We had a press conference at Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters yesterday after the video conference. And he basically said that all, all 20 clubs would prefer to play uh, home and away, or they'd prefer to not have neutral grounds. Uh, but obviously, there is quite a wide spectrum on how strongly they feel about that. And I think the, the majority of clubs would probably, at this point, just accept it. And if it came to the vote, would, would play with neutral grounds now. But they'd still rather at least explore the option of being able to play home and away to the absolute end and see how far they can get with that. Um. And, and and it's because of that, and because there's now a greater incentive to play games, even if they aren't neutral grounds, that I think the situation has changed. I think you're right. Had, had, a, had you asked me the question on Sunday, whether, fo- we're not whether football be coming back, whether, but whether they'd strike an agreement to get football back, I would have been much more sceptical about that. Uh, I Because I think it would have been very difficult for them to come to some sort of consensus, given there's only three weeks now, and well, it's now two weeks, until... UEFA's deadline which is basically when it's May 25th and that's when they want clubs to either at least come up with a solution that's either either plans to play or curtailing the season Uh, and now I think we're much closer to an agreement to play the season
2: Miguel are we at least partially waiting to see what happens with the Bundesliga because in terms of elite leagues around Europe it's kind of the guinea pig isn't it to see how it works. Now, of course, they've got a a different profile in terms of the spread of the virus and in terms of the the, the way they've maybe partially controlled it um, in a a wider sense outside sport. Um, But their home and away model, if that works, does that give credence to those in the Premier League who are really committed to retaining home advantage?
1: Yeah, and I'm not just in terms of home and away, but I think basically any little thing, any little element that the Bundesliga does here that works, every other league will be able to point to it as an example and something they can use, which is really why it could be so influential. And the Premier League is the same in that. As regards home and away, that's going to have to be quite a quick turnaround, I think. And I mean, because really, they're going to have to make a decision on that by... Probably the next meeting, which is Monday, and that's why that'll be after the first week, immediately after the first weekend of home away fixtures. By which case, some issues of home away mightn't have truly presented themselves. Uh, but yeah, I suppose if all if goes swimmingly this weekend, it would certainly help the the, uh, the Premier League's case.
0: How much power do you think the players have in the decision making as to whether or not football returns as soon? As June, Miguel, because there have been a lot of players that have been pretty vocal about not being too happy about it returning that soon.
1: Yeah, so that's a very interesting thing. I mean, ultimately, the players have, and this is maybe an issue about kind of the unionisation of players, and maybe you could even say the PFA. The players have the ultimate power on this. If if across the the Premier League across the country, they. Decided not to play, or you just said we we don't we don't feel safe. This that's the whole thing done. Uh, as regards to reality, though, um, first of all, I don't think they're probably organised enough to do that. Uh, but I don't think even it's a, it's a case of that because from everything you hear, even though there obviously have been very strong voices about not playing, the majority want to get back back playing in some form. Uh, and i was t- i was talking to someone like I-, I think we'll see a similar situation to the bundesliga there i, I was talking to an agent yesterday who represents a few players in a Ger- few players in germany and he was saying yeah again like just like in england the majority want to get back playing in some way and once that happens even those that have some doubts they'll probably go to, with the majority uh, but in saying that i think there are, i think if we have the likelihood where the play- the majority of the players want to play there are still two quandaries there First of all, what the closing Premier League will do for players that absolutely don't want to play, because that is possible, of course. Will, will there be some sort of opt-out, and how will that be handled? Uh, especially given that that is a true moral concern, and anyone's perfectly entitled to not accept the risks. But the second part is more, and it almost feels like an unfair pressure on the players. But And it's, quite, it, it's almost quite a grotesque discussion to get into, but it's a very genuine quandary that's there, in that even if players, even if a majority of players say, didn't want to come. They had safety concerns, uh, which are, or concerns about the risk, which is which which are very real, of course. But the reality of the situation is, they're also used to a certain wage and certain lifestyle that is dependent on the economic structure of football. And it's and and football being what is a cash flow business, the money that comes in almost goes straight back out, mostly on player wages, and that cash flow is now stopped. And if it doesn't get back up and running soon, that's that entire economic structure potentially excluded. And we could have the reality of at least four clubs going into administration quite quickly. Uh, And you'd wonder when that is put to players. I mean, this is going to be the case across a lot of businesses, really. When that is put to players, whether they will reassess their own sense of risk in this situation. I I know that, again, that's an unfair question put to them. but But that is, I think, a genuine quandary in this situation.
2: Yeah, it really is. And when it comes to the economic structure of of the Premier League, we have to talk about TV money, of course. And Dave Heitner wrote something in The Guardian yesterday saying that even if the matches go on behind closed doors, that, um, that they'll have to give some of the money back. So collectively, the clubs, even if the games will play out um, behind closed doors, um, will lose what 300 to 350 million of the the, I think 700 plus that's that's still due I mean firstly Miguel what's your understanding of that And, and secondly do you think there isn't a way to sort of allege the financial impact by giving more concessions to broadcasters in years to come and maybe this could create a a a bit of a a closer relationship between the broadcasters and the premier league because the premier league has always had a very different model to other leagues and and definitely other sports i mean i think u.s um sports people have and u.s sports television people i should say have found it quite hard to understand how the premier league is with broadcasters because especially in in, until a couple of years ago they were they were totally right well with the premier league you'll 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 get what, what you're given and that's it. And do you think that there could be a bit more flexibility towards broadcasters going forward?
1: Yeah, possibly. Uh, first of all, it was a great line from David. And there was one line, or one sentence in it that stood out for me, which is the broadcasters will be kind of complaining about, or w- w- sorry, one of the potential complaints they have is that it'll be in front of empty stadiums, which is not part of the, the deal, which is a bit absurd given that <laughs> that's what the situation. I mean, because even that is separate to... Um, the problem of uh, of you know not not being able to play games at all, and and the big the big question that where had government said the uh, the Premier League absolutely can't play, it would have been force maje- majeure. I mean, just they just can't have crowds. Uh, in saying all that, I think it's wor- There's a split here, to be fair, between the British broadcasters, obviously make up a huge chunk of the pay. Uh, and the international broadcasters, because the British broadcasters, Sky and BT, essentially have a symbiotic relationship with the Premier League, where they're both dependent on each other. And I think that's particularly true of Sky. We all all know the history of of Sky and Murdoch, in which basically the growth of the company was founded on its relationship with the Premier League from the off. Uh, So because of that, I think there will be a more productive relationship with with, with football. But the, the, the question, of course, is about whether some of the international broadcasters who... Maybe have a, a colder or not a more pragmatic relationship with them. My my we think we've already seen a situation in France where some broadcasters have refused, to, have refused to pay, and that could be the same here. But in saying all that, I think the, the Premier League, obviously, even if, it's, if it costs them 300, 350 million, it's still better than having to pay back seven hundred to one billion.
0: Well, look, I know it's it's difficult for anyone. On any given day of the week at the moment to give their own opinion on what they think will happen. But we're going to ask you anyway, Miguel, <laughs> right now on this Tuesday, May the 12th, what do you think is most likely to happen?
1: <laughs> I think football is coming back now. And I do, I feel much more strongly for that than I did on Sunday, where I was a bit more doubtful. But now, yeah, I think mid June. Um, and so I, they'll get back to group training it looks like May 18th and then all the talk was there'll be quote unquote building blocks to, um, to, to full games and of course depending on the development of the virus and depending on what happens in other countries but from the information we have now I think the uh, Premier will be back by mid-June
2: Friend of the show, Miguel Delaney there. And thanks so much, Miguel, for joining us. Lots of interesting stuff in there and lots of interesting uh, detail in there, Jules. Um, Shall we talk about neutral venues? Um, Because I think it was really important there that Miguel made the distinction between what clubs would prefer to do um, in in, in a majority and what maybe they think is more realistic. Now, my personal view is if we're at a point where it has to be neutral venues, maybe we're not ready to restart. That's the way I look at it. Um, and certainly if you look at the hygiene protocols in the Bundesliga, and bear in mind that Germany is physically a bigger country than um, than England, it, it should be able to work. I just get the impression that the, that the Premier League are a little bit eager with this. But it is all about confidence, isn't it? In terms of uh, the clubs, in terms of the broadcasters and um, how they'll deal with it. It's, it's interesting as, as well. There's a thing in The Athletic today that you pointed out to me, Jules, um, about a survey done amongst fans by The Athletic of how English football uh, should return. Um, but, I mean, it was, it was interesting to hear Miguel say that there might be some softening in terms of the stance of especially the bottom six Towards the idea of neutral venues being the way forward,
0: yeah, I think so. I think that Miguel Miguel pointed it out that you know the Premier League are now speaking to the government about the criteria of being able to play in their own grounds and hoping that that will be able to change to that rather than playing in the neutral venues. And I mentioned it when we spoke to Miguel as well that I think up until. Sunday up until this week, really, it seemed as though the only kind of news we were seeing about opposition to neutral venues tended to be from those bottom six clubs, which now that we have clarity on that situation, we know isn't the case. And in fact, the majority of clubs, if not all of them, would prefer to play in their home grounds and play all the remaining matches, both home and away, and it's clear. It, it's it's important to point that out because, as you say, preferring to do something as opposed to having to do something are two very different things. Exactly, I I think that the suggestion up until this point that football fans and and other people were were looking at what was out in the news up until last week, suggesting that those bottom six clubs were only opposing to neutral venues in order for them to avoid relegation. That is something that is completely misguided. The reality of it is, of course, every single club has its own self-interest, whether that's getting a European place, winning a trophy, or whether that's surviving Mm. relegation. Of course, every single club has to look out for their own interests and I think ultimately what every club wants is for the season to be finished as fairly as it can be in the situations we're in and I think the understanding is that having the games behind closed doors is something that right now is essential because of the spread of the virus and because of containing that and and hopefully reducing as many infections as possible so that seems like an essential thing whereas I think playing in neutral venues now that we've seen what What's happening with the return of the Bundesliga doesn't seem as essential
2: yeah i mean it's it's interesting to see how that would um fold out for me because um initially when we're talking about neutral venues um <clears throat> the midlands was presented as the 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 most reasonable option. I just wonder what that would be I mean are we talking about using maybe the the, the Rico arena which even coventry themselves aren't playing in yeah. at, 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 the, at the moment um I mean, it would be interesting to to see how that would 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 turn out. But in terms of what we we're talking about what, um, with with the weight, I mean, one of the things, and this, as I said, this athletic article that you, you pointed out to me um, this morning, Jules, was was excellent. I thought um, they asked the respondents how long would you be prepared to wait to complete this season's remaining domestic games. Now, forty seven point eight said naught to three months, but that means that over half. Are prepared to wait six months or more, which yeah. I, I, I think is, is is very interesting. And as we've said in previous week, Jules, it's, it is a case of not just taking on board what the, the, the football family, in inverted commas, thinks like the players and clubs and everyone in the industry. Um, the, the, the fans and the general public are a massive part of this in, in an issue that far surpasses the the boundaries of sport general people people in their general lives have to have to feel ready and i think you saw that you know whatever your um political beliefs or whatever whatever your beliefs on the on, on the capability of our capabilities of our current prime minister the the, the lack of clarity yeah that we had at the weekend people don't feel that they've got their lives on track yet do they so you can't expect them to feel in a place where this 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 idea that you know footballers kind of owe it to us to keep up the morale of the country it's just nonsense it's nonsense their workers, however well are well they're paid, they need to feel safe and they need to feel somewhere near ready as much as anyone else,
0: yeah, and Danny Rose obviously one of those players who was particularly opinionated about that. And, you know, he made his his point clear. He, he said that he understands that the government wants to lift the morale of the nation, but why should he risk his and his family's health in order to go back to playing football as soon as June if yeah. it doesn't need to happen that quickly? And, uh, you know, another meeting, I believe, is being held today in order to discuss this with the players. But as we know already up until this point, Andy, and we've discussed before, there have been plenty of players from all levels of the Premier League. So Aguero, for example, and Rudiger, who obviously play in the top six. And then obviously you've got players like Glenn Murray, who have been quite outspoken as well, who of course plays for a team in the bottom six. So all levels of the Premier League, all different players have all had their say on this. And I'm sure there are plenty others who haven't been as publicly vocal, who also feel the same. I think there was a report... um, on Sky earlier this week saying that there was an interview with a manager and and the manager was surprised with how many of his squad were actually opposed to football returning as soon as this.
2: Another thing that really interested me in uh, this athletic piece was – the idea, again, quite split, as you would expect, on the possibility of, wait for it, Jules, a 23-team Premier League <laughs> next no, season.
0: No, no, prevented- I it not like this
2: if it prevented a legal battle over promotion and relegation. Now, we've heard the possibility, haven't we, of a 22-team Premier League. Say, for example, if the Premier League couldn't complete for any reason. And, you know, Miguel was talking about um, the idea of the Bundesliga being a guinea pig. And there's very much a feeling there in Germany that it's going to be week by week. You know, they have to see how it goes. And they have to, I think one of the club presidents said, we have to earn the right to get another match day. By, by doing it right on 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 this match day which i i, I think's fair mm-hmm. enough um but um if for any reason the the, the premier League couldn't um complete for, for me i think that would be it would be totally wrong to have relegation in, in that situation especially with the enormous financial implications that are involved if those teams don't have a chance to to, to get out of where they are at the moment. If they get to play, then then fair enough. Relegation stands, I I believe. But um, say, for example, um, you kept the current uh, uh, 20-team Premier League, added um, Leeds and West Brom. This is the first time I've heard this idea of adding the third team. Say it's like we're going back to... 1986. Actually, it was Wimbledon who were the the last team to be promoted as part of three automatics in um, 1986 to the to the top flight. So <laughs> it's quite quite an old fashioned concept. Uh, wh- where would you stand on that?
0: I just don't like this. I don't like the idea of it being any more congested than it already is. If I'm being completely honest, you know we That's it, we already it? we already face a lot of you know, the players face a lot of exhaustion with the Christmas pileup of fixtures. And there have been discussions over the last few years of of how we can change that and whether, you know, it's such a big deal having that Christmas football period where we love watching games on Boxing Day, but we also love the New Year's Day fixtures and we like having all those games around Christmas time. So where where on earth are they going to find the room for an extra six or so matches to be played in a Premier League season, as well as all the cup games as well. I just, I don't, I don't see the point in that. For me, whatever suggestions are made, it always goes down the avenue for me of just finishing this season when it's safe and healthy to do so. And I personally am with the majority of people that voted on that other poll that said that they were happy to wait for as long as it takes for this season to be finished. That's where I stand on it. And I think that, Whatever kind of suggestions are put forward, for me, it always still leans towards finishing the season, however long that takes it to happen. And therefore, we get the proper relegations, we get the proper champions, we get the proper European places, and hopefully we get proper promotions and relegations from the leagues below as well i mean
2: and fixture congestion is a a really um good point to make Jules i think because this is is going to be a thing even without the expansion of the premier league because you know we we don't know what's going to happen in in terms of next season even if next season starts on time or as near as damn it um we're going to be pressed aren't we especially if as might be the case, you know, we have to stop next season. And there's no guarantee at the moment that that, that won't happen, is there? So I I wonder, actually, I mean, you, you talked about the joy of of Boxing Day fixtures. I mean, we kind of did a, a half and half winter break this year. And because of everything that's happened since, we have no real way of measuring whether that's effective, whether it worked. Um, So it would seem harsh to to bin it off. And I think any sort of experiment in terms of timings to, unless it's really terrible to bin it off after one year, well, that doesn't really give a chance for it to work, does it? So Mm. I I think there needs to be some time on that. But I, I do wonder if in the current situation we're in, especially if we start next season late, whenever it does start, especially if there is some sort of necessary stoppage halfway through through next season. I wonder if to sort of, sort of anticipate any possible difficulties going forward. For me, binning the League Cup would be a good start. I, I think that is absolutely essential. Um, and I do wonder if there needs to be a rejigging around the, the the winter break. I mean, I think in times like these, when the players have had this completely unexpected time off, as well, and you know, we've heard from fitness coaches all over Europe that managing the physical load of those players is going to be really complicated. It's going to be something really difficult, and maybe that's something we'll talk about in in more depth over over coming weeks. But I, I just feel that if if we go into next season willfully playing three sets of of fixtures in a week that to me seems absolutely crazy it's time i think to experiment with a proper winter break and we've talked about this before they do it in in belgium and turkey where you can have the best of both worlds you can play um the boxing day fixtures and then break after that but i think we really have to think about you know not just the welfare of the players and of course that that is incredibly important but even from a fan's perspective and a a television um, viewer's perspective, what is the quality of what we're going to get? I I know that's not the be-all and end-all in the short term, but in the medium term, protecting the players and having something that's worth watching. And we always have this discussion when it comes to World Cups and European Championships and, you know, the players are fried, so we're, we're not really getting the peak of... Of competition in the World Cups and European Championships in in, in summers anymore um, I really think this is something that has to be thought about and I think um, the PFAs in all different countries and FIFA Pro need to need to be brought into this to to, to, to look at a way forward the uh, the FA chairman Greg Clark told the uh, the Premier League clubs Uh, today that the uh, the governing body will not sanction or uh, any relegation or voiding the season basically it means that if you're not going to null and void and you're not going to expunge the results you're looking uh, if they can't come back to, to resume the season you're looking at finishing it on sporting merit Jules and Andy, every Tuesday on Football Ramble Daily. And of course, you can always get in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Russell, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Jules, which is yeah, not part rest. of the address. I'm just <laughs> addressing you.
0: I've got the giggles for some reason. Um, Yes, let's get to some of your correspondence now. Do you know what? It's been a really busy week for you guys getting in touch and we we really do appreciate that. So we're going to try and get through as many of these as possible. Um, First of all, lots of you giving us your thoughts on Project Restart and also some other ways of how football can return. I want to read you out this suggestion um, from James Barry, who has tweeted us both. Um, He says, I've got an idea for a delayed Project Restart without the null and void option. Cancel everything in terms of fixtures until August. Then do a pre season in August to check that safety precautions are working in those non competitive games. Then kickstart the current season late August to September, including ongoing cup competitions. These fixtures will then finish around November. Each team then plays each other one additional time. The season would run over two years and finish in good time to allow the Euros to take place next summer and give suitable breaks for World Cup qualifiers and finishing the rest of the Cup competitions. He adds another suggestion here. He says maybe even play a second FA Cup when or if stadiums reopen. And he says, in terms of integrity, this for me is better than not finishing and doing points per game with teams not knowing how crucial their last game was or null and voiding three quarters of a season. And he, he does say, he says, I know teams will play each other home and away a different number of times. And that's changing the goalposts season, which isn't particularly ideal, but it looks like a best case scenario to me. What are your thoughts? There's a lot to take in there, and it's very different to some of the suggestions we've heard so far. But what's your take on James's suggestion there, Andy?
2: James, there's an awful lot of common sense in there for one male. And uh, with that in mind, please don't mail us again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm only joking. It was, um, it was really interesting, actually. And I think just to remove that time pressure, I think is 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 quite important. It's something you talked about, Jules. And um the, the idea of um that I, I think is is very much a reasonable idea. It's also very much a fans idea because of course the, the clubs are thinking about this with T V money in, in, in their heads and I can understand that. I think the other potential drawback to that is the possibility that um we become completely out of sync with the rest of Europe. And that's where UEFA is in quite a tricky spot. I mean, they've provided this deadline that Miguel was talking about earlier of the the 25th of May for um, different leagues to come up with solutions. That's not a hard deadline. We, we have to point that out. It's a preferred deadline. But, you know, they're having to be flexible, the the, the same as everyone else at the moment. Um, what I think is a potential problem with any of these plans is that um, all of Europe becomes out of sync. And that's something that UEFA have been keen to avoid. Um, and that Javier Terras, the president of La Liga, has been very keen to avoid. I think if you do risk all these different leagues going out of sync too much. I think that's one of the things, as well as like mid-sized clubs falling by the wayside, that kind of opens the way to a European Super League, which personally I'm very much not in favour of. I I think it would be um, really uncompetitive and a a blow to sport in in general. Um, Talking of um, ways of coming back, um, we've got one here from... uh, paul blazy who's um, an englishman exiled in vancouver but still a ramble listener good to know i work in sports medicine rehabilitation so i have some insight on this the the world health organization have a tool to risk assess the return to play for sporting leagues the british journal of sports medicine blog has an example of it being used to assess the premier league returning surely we have to make an objective decision based on an agreed acceptable risk level if you use the the tool and say we can only return once the risk is low. There'll be no football before the autumn. If there is a deadline from June 30th to finish, surely that means null and void the season and promote two teams for an expanded league, going back to what we were talking about um, together. And he also wanted to make a point about um, last week's pod, about Norwich's home record. They've already played all of the traditional top six at home, hence their record may not be, be as strong, but they would fancy their chances at home under normal conditions in the remaining fixtures. Keep up the good work, Paul. Thanks, Paul. I think that's an interesting point isn't it against points per game if the season was finished and um, there was another thing in that athletic article actually that their um, their analyst paul wolville was very much against the the points per game idea because as as james was saying in his email you know you you've no idea you had no idea at the time how vital your last game was yeah which which is really sort of Un- unfortunate, I mean, none of these are ideal situations again, James pointed it out in his his email it's it's a question of you know best case scenario, really isn't it, in the situation we're in,
0: yeah, and I think that's the thing is um it's important to be flexible in our heads at the moment with all these different suggestions that are coming in because everything is changing so quickly. The way we spoke about project restart a few weeks ago is very different to how we're speaking about it today, and I think that. One of the things regarding points per game for me is that that is a valid way of finishing the league if and only if there is absolutely no way we can play the games. And what we've seen so far and what we've seen from the latest news from the government is that there is a possibility to finish these games. It does mean that they'll have to be behind closed doors. But if there is a way to play these games and get them finished, then I would always opt for that rather than a points per game scenario. And just on the on the transparency issue and and, you know, kind of knowing exactly where all the clubs stand on this, I think it's it's been really good to see certain clubs be be quite open with both the fans and the media about where they stand on things. And I know I'm gonna I'm gonna praise Brighton here because I haven't done it for for no. a couple of weeks at least, or at least the last <laughs> half an hour. That um, <laughs> Brighton have been one of the clubs that have been so transparent since day one, since the Premier League was put on pause every single week. So for the last seven weeks, Paul Barber has done open video conferences for journalists to attend, that you can ask as many questions as you like on where things are at in terms of football returning. And that transparency has been something that I think we haven't seen enough of. And now we are seeing more clubs being more open about things. So Christian Perslow, who's the chief executive of Aston Villa, also went public um last week with his opposition to neutral venues. I know Watford's chairman Scott Duxbury has also done the same. He's he's saying that you know, similarly to what Paul Barber has been saying in the last couple of weeks, that of course self interest plays a big part in their thoughts on Project Restart, but they have to have self interest. They have to speak from the thoughts of their club because it's their duty to protect the clubs that they own and that, and that they're the chairman for and to protect the people that are employed by it. So um I think that it's it's really positive that we're hearing more open discussions about everyone's thoughts on football returning. And we encourage you guys to do that as well and to keep getting in touch with us. Um, we've also had this interesting email from Adam Garnsey who's asking our thoughts on having journalists at the game when they return behind closed doors and he's attached a graphic which explains the amount of personnel that is needed for behind closed doors games and very interestingly there's a large amount of people that is needed in terms of broadcast partners and press. So a hundred TV and radio personnel and twenty-eight written press journalists plus two photographers. So that's the suggestion of how many people would be needed behind closed doors for these matches in order for them to run as they were. Now, with the return of the Bundesliga, Andy, I imagine that you might be put into this situation way sooner than any Premier League. Journalists or anyone that works in English football. So, what's your take on that? And are you returning to work as soon as this weekend for the Bundesliga return?
2: Um, well, I will be writing my um, Guardian column on the, on the Bundesliga again um, as I've, I've been sort of updating with um, the, the progress of the, the restart. Um, so, I'll, I'll be putting that out every Monday and I'll, I'll be working um, on Amazon Music's Bundesliga shows as, as, as well. Um, but um, for the meantime that that will be remotely because of course um what we have even if we have the freedom to get a flight out to to germany presuming there is enough press capacity at the moment on this scaled down operation which is exactly what it There they're very strict limits on how many people can be allowed in in the whole stadium area we're not just talking about um the pitch or the, the tunnel or the, the the grandstand we're talking about the the actual perimeter of of, of the stadium at uh, each Bundesliga stadium as as well at the moment if I was flying back from there I would have to serve under under the new rules I would I would have to go into quarantine for for 14 yeah. days so that that's that's not p- particularly practical um but the the figures here are really interesting it is is a really interesting email from from Adam but of course that the, the twenty eight written press i'm not sure you you get away with that when it when it gets to the final analysis of it obviously um we need media we need uh tv and radio and journalists simply because if they weren't putting it out there it, it, there'd be no point in them playing would there you know yeah. it's, it's been and i think sometimes people miss that with with the written media that even though written media has changed so much you know it's it's free publicity for football play, uh, football clubs every day and it's, it's it's the way still a major way in which um clubs connect with their their fans and, and and their audiences um i think the difficulty in the short term and i know this to be the case in the, in the bundesliga there's not going to be in person press conferences and there's not going to be in-person mix zones so the mix zone is is the bit where the players come out of the changing rooms and they um stop and talk to an assembled amount of journalists um if if they like Um, but that's not something that will be possible with social distancing so that will be done remotely now in in the short term i mean maybe that could be opened up to other journalists if they're going to be done um, by a video conference or Zoom or, or, or whatever, maybe that can also be done with um, post-match with um, journalists who are actually outside the stadium. Yeah. Um, but really it is a, is a case like with everything else of capacity and and, and safety. So I, I think the numbers are very much TBC and I think journalists are going to have to be as as flexible as everyone else, of course.
0: Yeah. And I think that as you say there, it probably doesn't seem as essential to have as many journalists as that in the grounds, because what remote production has taught us all over the last few weeks is there is plenty that we can do from our own homes, which is incredible, really. I could have never imagined that we would be able to broadcast from our homes in the way we are and and do it in as much of a professional way as we're seeing broadcasts on all channels at the moment. It's remarkable, really, how much we've come along in the last few weeks. And, And I do believe that that will be the same for when football returns. I think they will only have those essential people that need to be in those stadiums there. So, for example, with a TV and radio broadcast, you wouldn't believe the amount of people you need to rig TV cameras and mm. and you know the setup that goes behind it. So yes, those people will be essential because, as you say, Andy, we want those games to be broadcast and we need to be able to watch them. That way, if they are broadcast, that means that the written journalists can watch those games and can still do their reports from home. So there's going to be a way where we can limit exactly who needs to be there and who is able to work from home and to perhaps do those interviews and those press conferences from home via a Zoom link or, or an internet link of some sort. I also think from a personal perspective, um, for me and for my friends who I've spoken to who are also journalists and, and work in the media, I think there's a bit of apprehension and a bit of reluctance to, to actually want to actually be in those stadiums as soon as that, you know. When we're talking about the return of football, we're talking about everyone having to agree, and we've seen how much opposition there has been from from some players, and I believe that that will be the same from for journalists as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. Uh, we've got a. Um, bring things to a close shortly but I just wanted to uh, get in one more email there's one from uh, Eugene Waters about a a question um, with the Premier League pertaining to Ireland which has a bit of a personal slant for me that's a bit of a discussion so we're going to leave that for next week Eugene Uh, never fear but there's one here (laughs) from uh, Benjamin following up on uh, Stash's email uh, um, from last week on dear Jules and Andy on the subject of coaching for the enemy I can offer an insight as to what it's like to coach for the enemy against a favorite team oh. i worked and coached uh-huh. at the american embassy school in new delhi for six years one of our greatest rivals was the american school of doha yeah sounds like my kind of classico <laughs> delhi was the smaller school with a diplomatic and charity worker population it had heart and wore it on its sleeve Doha was a much larger school, Nouveau region, catered to the oil and gas community with the odd member of Qatari royalty thrown in. Very much a Forest Green versus Manchester City vibe. (laughs) The schools were in the same sports league and played each other in a yearly tournament. Delhi won a few and lost a few in those years, but always felt like a huge underdog. The victories were that much sweeter because of it. However in 2013 i was offered a job at the doha school and oh, took it
0: benjamin
2: i also became their football coach so for four years i coached against my beloved delhi against kids i coached since they were 10 and who are now in the first team as 17 and 18 year olds against kids whose parents were my close friends <laughs> it felt dreadful like a great betrayal i coached doha against delhi three times and we beat them every time smashed oh. them twice during the games and build up it was all about winning the emotions i felt for my team were locked away as best i could today no longer working in doha my heart only belongs to one team i'm deli Walla forever but did the job i needed to do so to your preston and spurs loving listener take the (laughs) job beat them but it won't change where your heart is all the best ben
0: oh ben i absolutely love that email that's brilliant and and we love hearing your personal stories about things that that we discuss on jules and andy that's incredible but but i guess it, i guess he's right isn't he i mean he's the one that's lived through it and experienced that but i suppose that you you do your job and then when you come away from it you know really where your heart lies and you know exactly who you support and that won't ever change
2: yeah, it's like edinson cavani when he's playing against napoli <laughs> Well, when he's not catching spiders, anyway. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks so much for all your correspondence as ever. We really do appreciate it, especially um, in these times. So at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com, as so many of you know already.
0: Yeah, and don't worry, Eugene. Andy wants to give your email a big chunk of time on next week's show. So we will get to that next week. We promise you that one. Um, Before we go, just a quick reminder as well that this week, I'm going to be chatting to Luke Moore in a special live Ramble Meets on Instagram. Yay! Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And we want your questions for it as well. And we will be live at 6 p.m. on Thursday on the Football Ramble Daily Instagram page. It's going to be an Instagram Live so that you can all interact live with us um, and it will also be on my own Instagram page as well at Jules Breach so make sure you join us six o'clock and you can send in loads of questions um, that you want answered to Luke um, or direct to the football ramble page as well so I'm very much looking forward to that be nice with the questions though be nice
2: <laughs> I- I'm looking forward to that and I will ask a very nice question I'm going to ask you if you've re- recovered from your juice in the eye accident from <laughs> earlier hopefully you fully on the mend by then Jules uh, there's loads going on on the Patreon of course one of the big developments that you might have noticed across social is that ad-free episodes of Football Ramble Daily <gasps> are now available um, to uh, Patreon subscribers um, of course it starts from the various tiers Tiers of membership start from uh, five dollars there's also on there um, Mark Pugach joining Luke the great Mark Pugach My joining pal. Luke yeah your pal uh, to chat about Euro. 96 and his new podcast series speaking to some famous faces from the tournament uh, you can get involved with that as well patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily it's good stuff
0: yeah that's gonna be amazing Mark tells the best stories by the way and he has such amazing insight from working with all these people in the industry and and in the world of football so well worth giving that a listen if you can all right that's it for us this week we'll see you next time on football ramble daily see you Randy
2: see you next week